Welcome to Voter Talk Podcast Selection 23. This is episode 6 and today we're talking about issues. So with that in mind, Simon, what, how would you label this election? If you were maybe a journalist who was uh, responsible for calling the election something, what would you say it was? Mm. Um, no country for um, old white men. <laughs> I can see why you might think that. Suddenly that's a minority group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For me, I think it's um, the election of uh, the winter of discontent. I think that... There's a, an undercurrent, or it's becoming not even so much of an undercurrent now, of um, disenfranchisement, I think, and um, and frustration, and in some respects, anger. Yeah, I mean, there definitely is an angry, you know, it's, it's more than grumpy. You go around and talk to people, there's a complaint almost first up, unless you live in Melbourne, in which case people say, isn't it a nice day? But there is a lot of grumpiness about a lot of things, which I think is bordering on anger. Yeah. What's triggering it in different, is different in different people, though. So yeah. should we explore those issues? Yeah, we should. And look, when the, when the parties are looking to have their top three policies or top five, whatever, they're, they're actually trying to monitor the, the feel of the public mm. and, um, and making appeals to those. So if you look back about, I don't know, a few months ago, the, the media had already labelled this election the cost of living election. Yeah. And um, since then, other things have sort of rolled out. I think that people probably instinctively come back to that because they're feeling the pinch. Either they're paying more for their mortgage, interest rates have gone up, they're paying more for their rental if they're not a homeowner, and certainly the cost of food is becoming a, a real issue. Yeah, so for some people, all of those things will be hitting home. Yep. And for others, like if you're mortgage-free, you're still having to pay a lot for your Coomera. Yep. So there'll be different pains for different people. Yes, but I, I $12 definitely... a kilo at the supermarket. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think then subsequently, in a search for a solution to the cost of living crisis, uh, parties are attacking that in a, a raft of different ways. And so that's why we're seeing so much talk about a wealth tax, mm. um, about a capital gains tax, which is off the table and then it's not and then it is again. Uh, and so I think that search for solutions is proving quite difficult for the parties. Yeah, everyone's talking about cuts and redistribution in some way or another, it's, but the mechanisms they're talking about are quite different, eh? Yeah, that's right. And of course, when Chris Hipkins became Prime Minister at the start of the year, he immediately started talking about bread and butter and his favourite food being sausage rolls in an attempt to say, we're coming back to basics, uh, and this is what you can expect to hear from us between now and the election. Has he not seen the, the reports about carbs? Yeah. Fuel? Fuel, F Fix yes. everything? Yes, and really interesting that the government chose to add tax back on to fuel uh, on the 1st of July, mm. when leading into an election you might have thought that was political suicide. Yeah. So um, there's a lot to the cost of living. We're going to do taxes in more detail later, eh? Yes, I think we'll have a separate podcast on the wealth taxes. It's certainly worth investigating the different takes on that mm. and what impact it might likely have. I see the ACT Party has been um, surveying. They don't say who they've surveyed. I guess it's probably the people in their own uh, orbit. Um, but they came up with some not unsurprising results. So what did they say? Yeah, so they said the top. They said 35% of the respondents to their survey um, said co-governance was the number one issue. The problem with co-governance is, I think, and this has been discussed, uh, it means different things to different people. For some, it means a partnership between Māori and Pākehā and actually having equal input into the process at every level. Mm. Uh, for others, it's something 
much less intrusive. Yep. Um, but nobody defines co-governance when they talk about it. And so it does inevitably lead on to talk of racism and division and separatism. Yeah, there's no agreed, um, there's no agreed vocabulary that I can see. I saw a, a one commentator saying, look, at the end of the day, the treaty has three principles. One is the Crown can govern. The second one is Māori can keep uh, rangatiratanga, which is basically control over their lands and treasures. And the third one is that they Māori get all the rights and duties of being a British citizen. And it's... There's a lot more talk about rights than duties, I think, going on at the moment. Yeah, there is. And you can expect to hear a lot more from uh, both National and ACT about co-governance as we get closer to the election. Yeah. Well, their second um, their second question was, uh, well, the second result was 26% saying the economy was the number one issue. Yep. And that's not surprising if it was an ACT audience that was being canvassed. Uh, they do worry a lot more about the level of debt, as I do, for my children and grandchildren. They're the, they're the people who are going to be responsible for paying back uh, the huge change in debt position from for from a worsening mm. perspective uh, that we saw during COVID. Yeah, and there's um, two there's two elements to the to that uh, debate too. One is you know what, what you spend your money on, but the other is um, you know how you gain it. So we've talked about tax, it's the the revenue base, mm-hmm. and then the spending. You can have good spending and bad spending, right? So. Yeah. Yes, health, education, and so on and so forth. But if you've got a really inefficient government sector, and I know this is something particularly that ACT focuses on, then a lot of that money is is wasted. Yep. But do you know it's like advertising? Do you know which fifty percent is wasted? Mm. Very hard to determine where the waste is. But number three, twenty-two percent crime. Yep, and that that certainly, since the cost of living election label was put in place, I think has become an emerging topic, mm. and uh, situations like the Auckland shooting recently just make those discussions uh, more more prominent because the issue is foremost in people's minds. Mm. I think it's true that you've got to address the root causes of the of the, the um, behaviours that you see, the criminal behaviours, but you know it's intergenerational. It is. You still actually have to do something in the in the interim. So yeah. it's it's not uh, either or. It's both and. And I'm just concerned that um, getting tough on crime, so to speak, where does that end? Well, let's go back to smacking kids, shall we? That, that you know that mm. might uh, and public floggings. Mm. So you have to address the intergenerational issues. Yes, it's definitely a two pronged attack attack that's needed. Uh, it's much easier for political parties in the short political terms to think about how they do something here and now. So build new prisons, um, take the key and turn the lock and throw away the key. Uh, Those things are easier to focus on, much harder to find solutions to those really entrenched intergenerational problems that you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, fourth and final, 14% said cost of living was front of mind, and that ties in with the economy, so I don't think we need to go around that buoy again. No, not today. Interesting uh, topic which came up first in Bloomberg in a uh, financial journalist podcast in March, which uh, some of the mainstream media have just caught up with in the last week, is a term called excuseflation. Ah, what do they mean by that? So, well, if you imagine that the indicators of inflation is that it's peaked and going back down, but prices are still going up. If you go to the supermarket, you can see that in, you know, for yourself. Yep. And what it actually means is that businesses will use an event that everyone knows about 
to justify putting up prices. And COVID's the classic example. All the supply chains are disrupted. But even if your supply chain was, was not disrupted, you can still blame COVID for the prices going up. There's bird flu or a shortage of grain, wheat, butter, doesn't matter what it is. There is there's a group, there's a sector that will use that as an excuse to justify price increases. And in fact, often people won't even won't even challenge a price increase because they go, oh, well, it's know, what they're expecting. It makes sense because that happened. Yeah. Right? I think it's been particularly hard since COVID for smaller businesses because many of them have held their prices recognising that they want to keep that business yep. don't want it to, to flee somewhere else and so many I think have held prices for too long and all of a sudden they've reached a crisis point themselves and then the price goes up with a jump so yes I agree that there probably is something to the excuse, fla- excuse flashing but it's, it's not a very black and white problem is it there's no. lots of reasons why the prices have gone up problem is the prices never seem to come back except for fruit and vegetables which are seasonal and floods affect them and once the crop comes online the price will be lower mm. but for processed goods for example yep. the price never seems to come back people voting in this election what is the emotional driver do you think I, you know, i'm thinking about are they voting with a view to just um, sticking it up the current government because they've had enough of their current circumstances and so they want them out to send send a signal that we're really unhappy with you without any real expectation that the incoming government will be any better? Or is there a Peter Pan sort of hope that magically the new government will be able to improve people's lives the day after the election? I think there's a certain naivety about that, but I I do believe that Mm. exists in some quarters. Or is there a somewhat resigned, you know, head down um, Matilda kind of thing about... Well, we're going to t- send a clear signal to this government that we want them out because we don't like the way our lives are, but we don't have any real expectation that the incoming government has any money or any intent to really change mm. our lives. I think it's a mix of all of those things. And although we've talked about the polls already and how you mustn't look at just one poll, it's the trends that count, but you'd have to say this is the first election that I can remember where the small parties have had such prominence. Mm. And I think that's going to continue right through to the election. The the bigger parties are struggling to get much higher than that mid-30 range, whereas in previous elections they've been up close, much closer and across 40. Mm. Uh, and so I think that voters are... You can never, not do, no two voters are the same, but I think a lot of voters are looking for something a bit different that might see some real change this election. Yeah, and of course mm. if there was no threshold, we'd see uh, New Zealand first... We'd see the new Conservatives and top, top yeah, in, in, all in Parliament, in Parliament and having and probably having quite a bit of influence, yep. despite the fact that they're little. Um, I think that's right. The other thing that is worth considering is we'll do another podcast, I think, closer into the election about issues again because mm. they do change as the election approaches, and we're seeing smaller parties roll out their policies now. They're talking a lot about the issues. The two big parties, National and Labour, are always very coy about making their big policy announcements mm. this far out from election, uh, and they they want to hold those close because they're worried that the other side will steal those policy initiatives if they resonate with the public. So we've got quite a long way to go yet in terms of what solutions they might provide for the economy, and that includes taxation. Probably they'll be having a long, hard think about crime because that does seem to be forefront in people's minds at the moment, Mm. and uh, there may be other things. Winston Peters, of course, 
loves coming out at the last minute with his usually three things, but I think he's been holding four fingers up recently, so he must be going to have four initiatives, but he couldn't possibly say what they are yet, and he loves the element of surprise. So he's hoping that, that they will gain some some traction, I think. It's possible that it's just arthritis in the, in the little <laughs> finger. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen the stealing of policy already. ACT came out with a tough on crime, particularly youth crime. Yep. National followed suit. They had their boot camps and they were going to do this and that. Which, which were harder. Very, yep. very yep. similar. And, and, and Labour's caved in, having taken the intergenerational approach and tried to reduce you know, a whole lot of traditional behaviours in injustice and corrections, has come out and joined the party. Yes, and they're trying to now out crime hmm. National's crime policies. Hmm. Well, it's Laura. <laughs> Laura, yep. Laura Norder. It's really a case of what's the space with issues, isn't it? So lots of things being talked about at the moment, but they're not necessarily the things that will be talked about a month out from the election. Yeah, and if you've got issues, well, haven't we all? Send them in to us, <laughs> we can talk about them, uh, or any other questions you've got, and uh, we'll pick them up either in a question series or in uh, our future um, issues uh, episodes. So you can do that through our website, talkpoint, T-O-R-Q-U-E, talkpoint.co.nz. Uh, or through our Twitter and LinkedIn uh, comment mechanisms. Yep, great. Thanks, we'll talk to you soon. Yep, I'm Simon Ewing-Jarvie. And I'm Heather Roy.